Parish, please be seated. There we go. Well, over the summer, the elders and I, we take some time, we kind of look at the coming year, we ask some of the questions about what are some of the things that are going on that we want to look at, some of the things we want to deal with, and some of the things we want to address. And one of the things we looked at this coming year was this series that we're doing now. So even as you're looking at all this stuff and thinking about we're doing this series on giving and finances and resources now, we thought about that and we intended to pursue that as we looked at that and wrestled through that this past summer. One of the things we also put on that radar is a, is a class that, that deals with finances and it's Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace course. And we've used that in the past. We've used that, we're going to use that again. And I asked Bill if he would come and maybe share a little bit of a testimony about that class, maybe how, how it's touched some of his life. So Bill, if you'd come at this point in time and share a little bit of that. I have number four, and I'm turning that on. Thank you. Am I out? Eagles fans in the audience. I'm feeling pretty good this morning. Get over it. Yes. Not so good. I have no idea. Because you knocked my bike was out last week, so. $58,000 in debt on our credit cards. 
It's a lot of money. That's mostly Vicky buying shoes. <laughs> mostly Vicky buying shoes. Right, that's totally preposterous. I was the problem with that. That wasn't Vicky. So we had $58,000 in credit card debt. Our monthly payment, monthly minimum payment, was $2,200. That was just the minimum. And the part that really hurt was that more than half of that monthly payment was interest. So we were making, we were, we were spending $2,200 a month on credit cards, which is bigger than our mortgage, and we were making virtually no headway against the underlying debt itself, and that was a problem. So after the second time, did I just go off? Felt like I just went off. Uh, in my head, and Mickey and I started applying the principles. Uh, we both went out, got second jobs. Vicky cut way back on shoes. Uh, we made some changes, and we are closing in on five months. In April, it will be five years, rather, not five months. And we've reduced that overall debt of these principles from 58000 $22,000. And we've reduced our monthly payment from $2,200 a month, more than half of that being interest, to, drumroll please, $337 a month of which absolutely none is interest. Mind you, there's one credit card company that's still charging us interest, we just aren't paying. So, the principles are real, they work. Uh, if you are a person who is doing well with money, awesome, I'm happy for you. If you are a person like myself who has struggled to apply discipline in that area of life, and you're, uh, you're maybe ready to check this out, I will be there, I'm gonna go to kind of refresh, um, and I would, I would welcome any of you attend. And uh, that's it. So pray for Bill as he goes home tonight because he's in trouble. Two categories. I'm just going to go to the mall. He'll leave his credit card home as he does that. So as we talk about this, and as we talk about finances and resources, this is, this is real stuff in life. And in particular in our culture today and the things that are happening in, in society, with the increase in expenses and all that kind of stuff, as we had looked at that this past summer and then are looking at it now, things have continued to shift and, and, and cost and overhead for most of us continues to go up. So the principles still apply and the principles still work. And I would encourage you to... Consider the class. We're going to be starting it on the 19th. And one of the things I would ask you to do, on the communication card, say yes. I want to come to Dave Ramsey's class. There will be a cost involved. It won't be a cost to us. It will be a cost to buy the resources. We'll lead the class and we'll walk you through that and and guide that process. But Ramsey, there's a cost that Ramsey charges. Now, Ramsey's going to charge you for this reason. Two reasons, actually. One, from his vantage point, he says, what I am selling you, what I am providing you is something of value, and I think it's appropriate for you to pay me for something of value. That's part of Ramsey's worldview. The second reason why Ramsey is saying, you're going to pay for the coursework and the course material because I want you to have skin in the game. I want you to be motivated to come into this process and say, okay, I paid 100 bucks for this class. I'm going to put it to work. I'm going to apply it. I'm not just going to throw that money away. I'm going to, I'm going to attend. I'm going to participate. I'm going to, I'm going to be involved, and I'm going to see how this works in my life. Now, I don't, I don't know where Dave Ramsey's class airs, or he does a 
thing on a radio. I don't know where that is. I don't necessarily listen to that. But it's a regular thing on that show where people get online and they talk to him and they say, we are debt free. And that's part of what he encourages people to do, to learn how to live debt free, learn how to live responsibly, to live within their means, not beyond their means. So as we look at these principles and process through all these things, we really think it fits and applies. We encourage you to really look at that. If you have friends and you say, this would really be beneficial for my friend, invite your friend as well. And I would say, don't just send your friend, come with them. Encourage them. Come with them, participate with them. One, it'll be a good class for you, but then two, it'll really encourage them to participate and be a part of that. Let's have a word of prayer, then we'll jump into the things in front of us today. Father, I want to say thank you so very much for your goodness to us and just for watching over us. Father, I thank you for the privilege you've given us this morning to already lift up our voices, to lift up our hearts, and to lift up your name and declare that you are worthy, that you are deserving, and that you are awesome. Father, I would ask that we would continue that process as we open your word. Father, we want you to be glorified, not just in the things that we sing and the the things that we proclaim as we sing a song, but Father, we also want you to be glorified and honored in the attitudes in our heart, in the ins and outs of how we live our lives. We want to be able to point at the aspects of our lives and, and and have that be worship and glory to you and have others to also look and see how we live and the things that we do and say, wow, they, these are people who love God. I can just tell from how they live. I can, I can see the evidence of their lives. So, Father, there's many ways we worship. And, Father, we would ask that in all these different components that you would allow us to worship you now as we listen to your word, as we process it and, and chew on it and work at applying what it means to be responsible and faithful to the resources you entrust to us. Father, guide our time, I would ask, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Now, up to this point in time, we've looked at a couple of different things. We first of all looked at the conversation of generosity, and that's, a, that's where we started. We talked about the value and the importance of generosity. And I would say this, it's, I have done premarital counseling for 35 years, it's regular for me to sit down with a couple, and I probably said this the other day, but one of the things I encourage couples to think about is the importance and the value of learning to live a life that is generous, not learning to live a life that is self-indulgent. That's really important. And I will sit down and I'll walk through biblical principles, I'll walk through stewardship principles with that couple, but I would encourage them often to learn to live a life that is generous. Now, that's important First of all, when you're married, you shouldn't be living selfishly. You're tying your life to another person. And as you live that life, you should ultimately then not be looking at that relationship and saying, what does he or what does she do for me? But really one of the core things that should be going on in that relationship is you should be saying, how do I speak into and build into and a blessing to him or a blessing to her in this relationship? Now, that's living generously, I would say to you. So it's important to learn, learn to live generously because it doesn't just impact your dollars and cents. It impacts how you live, the attitude through which you live, the filter through which you process life, and the filter through which you process how you interact with other people. It's really important. And when we learn to live with a sense of generosity, it deals with the selfishness and the self-indulgence and all that kind of stuff. And it helps us to start expunging that from our lives and it helps us start to build a different character in our lives, which is a good thing. Last week, we talked about budgeting in particular. 
Excuse me. And again, I think that's a significantly important component of life. We need to learn how to manage our, our resources. And in that process, we, we, we talked about counting the cost. Okay, we, we talked about what it means to live life and to count the cost of how we live so that we can manage well then what we have, but also so that when, when push comes to shove, we are not doing without, but rather we have planned and prepared so our lives are taken care of, our family is taken care of, our obligations are taken care of. So we have talked about counting the cost. And that then, then impacts then how we the choices we make and the decisions we make. It's really, really significant. This morning, I want us to talk about issues of stewardship. And this is another key issue. And if you were look at the top of the notes, and I would encourage you to take advantage of the notes, and there's a number of things that are there. We're going to look, look at that and work through these things again through our life group times this week. And if you're not part of a life group, I would encourage you to plug into a life group. And as we wrestle through these things, I think it's really important. And as I said here, the key principle for us to absorb is to live out, key principle for us to absorb is to live out stewardship. Now, when you walk through Scripture, and you, particularly when you walk through some of the New Testament, there are two key principles that I think are going on there. First of all, when you look at Jesus' ministry, one of the key things that Jesus was teaching were the issues of stewardship. And as you listen to the ministry of Jesus, a number of times he talks about what it means to be a steward. And he, and he gives illustrations and tells stories about entrusting resources to, to, to individuals and expecting return. That is issues of stewardship. We're going to read one of those accounts. But as you listen to Jesus' ministry, when Jesus talked about money and he talked about resources, one of the core things that he talked about in that process was the importance of stewardship. Now, as you walk through the New Testament, another key section of scripture that you're going to look at that's going to deal with how you manage money and what to do with money and that kind of stuff is 2 Corinthians verses 8 and 9, or chapters 8 and 9, not verses, but chapters 8 and 9, another key, key area. Now, are there other things in the New Testament and Old Testament that talks about managing money and how we handle our resources? Yes, there are other aspects, but those are... When I think about the, the, the New Testament and the, and the conversation that takes place there, those are two key areas or two key things that I would encourage you to thought, think about, put aside, and kind of earmark for consideration. Now, as we think about stewardship, there's some questions that are going to be asked, but I want to walk through some scripture first and then ask these questions out of the scriptures we look at. So let's start with the first area, and let's start with Matthew. This is one of those conversations that Jesus is having. This is some of the teaching that Jesus was doing on the issues of stewardship. So let's start in Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. He says, For it is just like a man about to go to, on a journey. He called his own servants and entrusted his possessions to them. We'll probably say this in another time again, but here's one of the key things of stewardship. What you've got is not yours. It's somebody else's. And that's one of those key things that we should recognize as we function, that ultimately what we have is stuff and our things that have been entrusted to us by God. It's ultimately not ours. It's not mine. It's not yours. It's God's. 
but he has entrusted these resources, these funds, these things into our hands for our management, for our stewardship. Okay? So, again, he's, this, this guy's going to hand stuff out, but it's ultimately not theirs. It's the master's. He called his own servants and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two talents, and to another one talent, depending on each one's ability. Then he went on a journey immediately. The man who had received the five talents put them to work and earned five more. In the same way, the one who earned two, who man with two, earned two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five talents approached, presented five more talents, and said, Master, you have given me five talents. See, I've earned five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. The man with two talents also approached. He said, Master, you gave me two talents. See, I've earned two more talents. His master said to him, Well, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. The man who had received one talent also approached and said, Master, I know you. You are a harsh man, reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. His master replied, You evil, lazy servant. If you knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered, then you should have deposited my money with the bankers and I would have received my money back with interest when I returned, at least. Okay? So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will be, have more than enough. But from the one who does not have, even that what he has will be taken from him. And throw this good-for-nothing servant into the outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's go on to 2 Corinthians chapter verses one, chapter 8, verses 1 to 11. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. They're, they're going to be collecting resources for the church in Jerusalem because there's famine and there's hardship going on. And so Paul is, is talking to him about this collection and this offering that's going to be taken. This is part of the the setting and part of the conversation that's going on in chapters eight and chapters nine, and so. But this is the beginning of that some of that conversation in chapter eight. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that has was given to the churches of Macedonia during a severe trial brought about by affliction. Their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. I can testify that according to their ability, that's a key principle there, by the way, and beyond their ability of their own accord. They begged with us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints. And not just as we had hoped, instead they gave themselves first to the Lord. Another key issue going on here, as we think of giving and as we think of stewardship and as we think of faithfulness back to our Lord, it's us first that God is looking for. God isn't looking to bypass us and get to our pocketbook. God wants us. That's the first and foremost thing that he desires. Everything else follows after that. So instead they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by God's will. So we urged Titus that just as he had begun, so he should also complete among you this act of grace. 
Now as you excel in everything in faith, speech, knowledge, and all diligence, and in your love for us, excel also in this act of grace. I am not saying this as a command, rather by means of the diligence of others, I am testing the genuineness of your love. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich for your sake, he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. And in this matter, I am giving advice because it is profitable for you who began last year not only to do something, but also want to do it. Now also finish the task, so that just as there was an eager desire, there may also be a completion according to what you have. Principles laid out in there. We'll unpack these things in a minute. We then jump down to chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. He continues that conversation, and he says, The point is this. The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and a person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. Then we go to 1 Corinthians, which is very interesting. 1 Corinthians was written a number of years before. And so even as he's talking about giving, and and there is another collection being taken for others. But he says this in 1 Corinthians 16. And we see the principle. And you see the principle lived out in the church life as we experience it today. It says, now about the collection for the saints, do the same as I instructed the Galatian churches on the first day of the week, which is Sunday, each of you is to set aside, set something aside and save it in keeping with how he is prospering so that no collections would need to be made when I come. So you ask a question sometimes, why do we take a weekly offering? Well, part of the principle of scripture is set it aside. Take the offering, set that aside. So that's where some of that flows from. And then I want you to also look at Acts chapter 11, verses 27 to 30. It says, during this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. This is while Paul Paul was still in ministry in Antioch. And and it says, and one of them named Agabus stood up and through the spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help to the brothers living in Judah. This is... This they did by sending their gifts to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. So these are some of the scriptures we would look at and see some of the scriptures that we would go to. Out of this, as you can see here, there's probably a series of questions that should be asked as we talk about stewardship and as we process through that journey. And I want to walk through those seven, those, not seven, those four questions here. And you're going to see that on the screen. You're going to see one, two, three, and four. And in particular, on a second point, I'm going to walk through four things, that I, and I would encourage you to write those things down and I'll remind you of that because they'll be part of what we walk through and talk about in life group this week as well. So here's the first question we should be asking. Am I being selfish? Am I being selfish? Maybe a different way to ask that is, am I being indulgent? This is a really important question to ask because as we have resources and as we have things, we often think of ourselves in that process. What can I get? What can I do with this? How can I splurge on myself? How can I take care of myself? Am I being selfish? Am I being indulgent? And as I wrote here on my notes, I wrote a couple of comments. Am I maintaining the attitude that I am a manager 
instead of an owner. See, that's key. See, when we have resources, and they, and they are not our resources, but they are someone else's resources, we understand what it means to manage those resources and care for those resources, but we also know that there's a space where we are responsible for watching those resources, managing those resources, growing those resources, but we also know that we're not supposed to dip into those resources and take something out just for ourselves. We know what that's called, right? What's that called? Stealing. And people get in trouble for this all the time. They have been managing someone's resources. They've been responsible for keeping the books for people's resources. And then for some reason they think, oh, I need something or I want something. And they dip into those resources. And then they get caught for stealing. Am I being selfish? Am I being indulgent? Am I managing myself with the resources that God has entrusted to my care? And am I maintaining the attitude and the understanding that I am a steward? Or am I seeing myself as the owner? Who then has full say as to what I do with these things and I can use them according to my whim instead of according to the boundaries and parameters given to me by the one who owns these resources. Whose stuff is it? So am I being selfish? Another way to look at that whole conversation as we we say, am I being selfish? Am I functioning as a consumer or an investor? Which am I? Now we live in a culture that drives and pushes the consumer worldview. Now we were talking about football earlier and it was a sad day for us Giants fans yesterday but I know it was a glorious day for you Eagles fans and we will live with the hardship of that being rubbed in our noses for the coming year hopefully things will turn around this coming year but we have nine months before we can try to expunge that stain and uh, deal with that but here's I got to tell you something from my worldview I enjoy watching football But I hate watching football live. Okay? Invariably, I try to tape the football game, and I've done this for years. My my wife and my kids would testify to this. Before Before I ever had a DVR, I had a VCR. And I would set up my VCR to tape the game, and I would never watch anything live. For a very simple reason. Except for the Super Bowl, I hate the commercials. I just hate the commercials. And, and you watch a football game and you have all these commercials. Now, it's fun to watch them during the Super Bowl because that's when all the new ones come out and they usually try to do something funny and entertaining and so you kind of, you watch them for the Super Bowl but the rest of the time, I don't want to see the commercials. I hate the commercials. But the commercials are an important part for them, for everyone else's worldview, because we are driven by a consumer mindset in our culture. We have been conditioned to be consumers. The challenge of stewardship is to shift our mindset from consumer 
to steward. It's really important. It's part of the challenge. It's part of the shift that should be taking place internally and attitudinally as we look at things. Next question. Am I being responsible? Maybe another way to ask that, am I being accountable? And this is where I have these four statements or four questions that I would encourage you to jot them down because we're going to look at them and talk about them in life group this week. So number, the first question I would put under this, am I being responsible or am I being accountable? Here's the first thing I would, I would ask you. Am I remembering that I will be held accountable for my management? When the individual went away and he gave five and two and one talents, he returned and he held those that were given the talents accountable. There is a day coming where God is going to hold us accountable and we're going to stand before him and he's going to say to us, I have given you X, Y, and Z. How did you manage the resources and the things that I placed in your hand? Now I'm going to say this to you as well. It's more than just money. Money is one of those things that he's going to hold us accountable for. But he's also going to hold us accountable for the gifts and abilities and relationships and all so much more in our lives other than just money. But God's going to look at us and he's going to say, I placed you in these circumstances. I placed you in these sets of relationships. I gave you these sets of abilities. How did you use them for my glory? How did you reflect me and represent me in those settings as opposed to just representing yourself? There's a component and a reality when one day we are going to stand before God and there is going to be an aspect of accountability. So we need to ask the question as we look at these resources, when we ask the question of, am I being responsibility? Am I functioning in a way recognizing that one day I will be held accountable for what I'm doing with these things? Number two. Am I remembering that having more or less is dependent on God's view of my management? You get that? Having more or less is dependent upon God's view of my management. To the one with the five, he increased to ten. No, no, you noticed in that process, God, it does not seem that he removed it. And, and in fact, the one who came with the one who hid it in the ground, who didn't even take it to the bankers to get interest, that the, the one who now had the 10, he said, give it to the one who has 10. He didn't say give it to the one who had 10. He says, give it to the one who has 10. Because the one who has 10 started out with five, but he had more. But the Maintaining and having of more was dependent upon the master's grace. And part of the principles that we look at is is that God responds to our management with further blessing or less blessing. Number three of those sub-questions you should write down. Am I living within or beyond my means? Am I being responsible Am I living within or beyond my means? If I'm living within my means, I would suggest to you, you're probably in many ways being responsible. But if you're living beyond your means, I would suggest to you, you're probably not being responsible. 
Because you can only live beyond your means just so long before everything crashes and burns, before the bills come due. Are you living within your means? Number four, under the am I being responsible? Am I living with debt, particularly credit card debt? I am probably not being responsible. The average American has eight to ten thousand dollars of credit card debt. That's the average American. I would suggest that if we are living with credit card debt that's not paid off at the end of the month, every month, we're not living responsibly. In fact, under the Dave, Dave Ramsey would, would say to you, he hates debit card. He hates credit cards. Okay, and if you were as, as you come, if, and I would encourage you to come to the course and, and be a part of that. And as you would listen to Dave Ramsey talk about this, he would say to you, get rid of your credit cards. And one of the things that they do during this time is they encourage people to show up at the class with their credit cards. I'm, if I'm the instructor, Bill's going to help me with some of the instruction this year. You're instructed to show up with your credit cards, and the leader, the instructor is instructed to bring a scissor, and you're told to cut the credit cards in half. You can even come up with little pieces. I might even could even bring a shredder so we could shred them so you can't put them back together again. Now, why does he do that? Because overwhelmingly, people who have credit cards don't feel the cost and don't feel the expense of spending their money. They walk into a situation, all they have to do is go, and the money is gone. A debit card is usually different, although banks often now today seem to treat a debit card kind of like a credit card, which blows my mind, but that's what they do. And, but the idea of a debit card is it's not you're building credit. You're, you're, you're not building a, a debt of credit. You're... You're, you're, it's coming out of your checking account. And so it's gone. He really encourages you to use cash. The problem is, most of us over the years have gotten credit cards. And many, 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 many people are not responsible with a credit card. And they accumulate debt on that credit card. And a credit card makes it really easy for me to live beyond my means, at least temporarily. So, as we wrestle through that, am I being responsible? We need to be asking those kinds of questions of ourselves with our resources and with other things in our lives. Am I being responsible? It's a really important issue of stewardship. The guy with the one talent, was he responsible? Was he? No, not even close. Not even close. We need to be responsible. Number three on the, the questions you would look as a good stewardship asks a series of questions. Here's a third question good stewardship would ask. Am I being faithful to my 
commitments. And as you look at there, I kind of wrote, wrote next to that, I check my attitude and my percentages. Am I being faithful to my commitments? And you start that process by looking at your attitude and your percentages. Your percentages are going to tell you where you're spending your money. And your percentages are going to be telling you where your money's going. Look at your percentages. Particularly look at your percentages as they relate to God. Now, therefore, first and foremost, am I being faithful to my commitment to God? Where does God fall on the priority list of our stewardship? What do you have to be thankful for? What do you have to be grateful for? From whose hands did the goodness and richness and blessings flow? And yet oftentimes we look at those blessings, we're grateful for those blessings, but we are slow to say thank you for the blessings that have been provided or to reciprocate back with generosity saying thank you or passing it on. So are you indeed being faithful to God as God desires you to be faithful? That's a, now, I can't answer that question for you. You've got to answer that question for you. But are you being faithful to God with the resources and the things he has placed in your hands for, your, you, for you to use in your life? You're being faithful. To my church. Am I being faithful to my church? Now, there's three things here that I, I, I want to communicate. And it answers some of the question, again, we asked last week, why do sometimes preachers preach on giving? And we're going to answer that a little bit more here this morning. Because, again, sometimes people say, I come to church and all they do is talk about money. Well, one of those reasons why they always talk about money is right here, and I'll give that to you in a second. I'll tell you something for the principles that Joan and I have lived by. And I'll explain to you why. For us, our home church always gets our base commitment. In our life, Joan and I have committed to tithe to the church. Straight up. Now, the best, the best illustration I ever heard on, on some of this conversation was actually a letter to Ann Landers. Maybe it was Dear Abby, their sister's. But, but it was, someone wrote, I think, actually it was Dear Abby, it was Dear Abby. Dear Abby, and the letter went kind of like this. Should I tithe on my net or my gross? And I loved her answer. She didn't directly answer it. But this was the answer. She said, so, do you want a net blessing from God? or a gross blessing. <laughs> and I loved it. It was just hysterical, but I thought it just kind of got right to the heart. It's the heart stuff, isn't it? It's not about law. It is not about law. This is heart stuff we're talking about. This is heart stuff we're dealing with. My attitude towards God, my attitude toward my stewardship, my attitude towards faithfulness. 
Now, over the years, Joan and I have said, we're going we're to set a base amount of giving. We have a couple of numbers that we use for giving, but we have a base amount for giving. We've decided that 10% number is going to be the base amount of giving, and we have decided that that goes to the church we're a part of. Why? Because that is our home church. It's our home space. This is where we do ministry. This is where we're involved with people. This is where we are engaged. And so we set that base amount, and we, off the top, straight up, it doesn't go anyplace else. It goes directly and only to the church that we're a part of, that we're connected to. And we do that because we have made a commitment here as well. Because as we have gotten connected to the local church, as we've become a member of that local church, we have bought into, we've made a commitment to supporting, enabling, and and doing the things that are going on there and to contribute to the underlying support of that organization. So we give our base giving to the church. Now, why do we choose 10%? When you walk through the scriptures and you walk through these other things, I want to tell you something. The Old Testament talked about 10% and it talked about tithing, but it was also gifts and tithing. But people have said over the years, if you actually look at the amount in the Old Testament that the Jewish individual was really being asked to give to God, it was more than that 10% number. So we set the baseline at 10%. There's other numbers we use, but the baseline is 10 But the key principle that we looked at above was according to your need and also the issues of generosity. And one of the things that you will walk through as you look through the New Testament principle is you won't see the the 10% principle being given, talked about in the New Testament. Consistently, it's about according to your need or as you are able. Now, there's two sides to that. So one person may say, I don't have much and I cannot give much because my ability and oppressive life is so significant that I have very little, little to be able to give back to God at this point in time. But the flip side of that, and I would say probably for most of us, the, 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 the stretch and the, the abundance of life is more than that. And we can probably give more than that 10%. But the question is, what is the ability that God has placed in our lives and the resources he has made available to us to be generous to the body of Christ and to be generous in ministry? Now, Many churches at different times may focus on money because churches have set budgets and established budgets and then people are not faithful in their giving and so pastors are looking or preachers are looking or boards are saying to the pastor, you need to preach on this because we're so far behind in our budget. And so they focus in on those things because they're trying to make budget. They're trying to stay ahead of the game. They're trying to keep up. This is also why we don't do fundraisers. We don't do fundraisers because we think the responsibility of ministry belongs to the people of God who have agreed to be a part of this ministry and have agreed to support this ministry. Therefore, the obligations of underwriting what takes place in ministry really is the responsibility of the New Life Church family, not people from the community or not people we rope into coming to events so they'll give us an extra 50 bucks. The underwriting of what takes place at New Life Church and through the ministry of New Life Church is the responsibility of New Life Church. So again, that's why we don't do fundraisers. And there have been different times where people have come to me and said, you know, have you ever thought of doing a fundraiser for? And we've said, yes, we've thought about it, but we're not going to do it. Really? 
You could get so much. No, we're not going to do that. Why? Because these things are our responsibilities, not someone else's responsibility. So as you wrestle through those things, again, as I look at am I being faithful to my commitments, part of that faithfulness is to my church. Am I being faithful in my giving to my church because I've aligned here, I've become a member here, I've connected here, and as a person then who's aligned and connected, I've made a commitment to underwriting and supporting through what God has blessed me with to make sure ministry and things take place as they should. Now, I'll also add this. God has always been faithful in taking care of us. And this is very personal for me. God has always been very faithful in taking care of us. And this is one of those things I would encourage you to think about as a follower of God. Again, Old Testament talks about this as well, but God has always been faithful. And it's been so amazing and so cool to see. Some of you know that Jones shifted roles from full-time to she's retired from from full-time but she still wanted to keep her hands in the in the in the dental hygiene world and wanted to when she 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 announced to her office i'm I'm stepping down i'm leaving but i I still want to work one day a week my ideal day of the week is mondays okay but she communicated that and just left it alone and as they processed through it they decided they wanted to replace joan's role with a full-time person well, Joan starts Mondays tomorrow. She stepped down two weeks ago. She lined us up a week and a half ago, and she has Mondays in perpetuity for as much as she needs it, fits just perfectly, fills the gap of our budget that needs to be filled. But here's what I found consistently in God's provision. God has always met our needs. It's been amazing. Even as we have been faithful, even as we sometimes go above and beyond or do different things, God always has met our needs. And it's been so cool. So cool. The other day, dishwasher died. Hate it. We've been doing dishes for a month (laughs) at the kitchen sink. Just before that, Just before that, I got a a letter from the escrow company from when we sold our house on Chelsea Avenue. When we sold the house on Chelsea Avenue, we had some debris to throw away. And trash day, debris, bulk pickup day, like we closed on Monday, and the following Thursday was bulk pickup day. And the people we sold the house to says, listen, we don't want to be responsible for cleaning up their mess if bulk pickup doesn't come pick up their mess. So we want to put $1,000 in escrow to make sure that if there's a mess, it's picked up, it's carted away, and it's dealt with. Just before the dishwasher died, and you go price those stupid things, they're $700, $800, Just before it dies, what do we do? We get a check in the mail. What does it do? It covers the cost of the dishwasher. Money we totally forgot about. I would suggest to you, and, and, and this is not one coincidence, this is, this is just a pattern of life we've experienced as we have chosen to be faithful in our stewardship to God. As we've chosen to practice the principles of faithfulness. God continues to be faithful. 
And I know I can tell some of my stories. You also have some of those same kinds of stories where again and again and again you see the faithfulness of God. What I want to drive home is that as we are faithful, God takes care of us. What's the first part of faithful? That's right. See, the first part of faithful is faith. I'll tell you the the very interesting offering that God expected the nation of Israel to give. The first fruit offering. The whole idea of the first fruit is they got the God got the first portion of what was collected with the anticipation that there was more to come. But God got the firsts. But it was a statement and an action of faith. Taking a step of faith, trusting that the rest of the harvest would come in. God is asking us to step by faith and to live by faith, not by foolishness, not, and not by uh, the quid quo pro worldview. We're okay, I'm going to give God a thousand, he's going to give me ten thousand back. Woo, hit the lottery. No, we're, we're not talking about that. But we're talking about learning to be faithful. God is always faithful. Last point. Am I helping or hurting or being taken advantage of? As we look at the things that are going on around us today, there's lots of people who are there asking for help. There are lots of people asking for our money. There are lots of people seeking to reach into our pocket. So let's ask the question, am I helping, am I hurting, or am I being taken advantage of? Three sets of script, three scriptures here that stand out. James, chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food... And one of you says to them, go in peace, stay warm, and be well fed, but you don't give them what they, the body needs. What good is it? In other words, your, your well wishes are kind of worthless. First John chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. If anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. The expectation is we should be coming alongside and helping those in need, brothers and sisters in Christ who have real legitimate need. But then this is the, here we continue with the counterbalance. We, we read Second Thessalonians chapter three verses six to fifteen. Now we command you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to keep away from every brother or sister who is idle and does not live according to the tradition received from us. For you yourselves know how you should imitate us. We were not idle among you. We did not eat anyone's food free of charge. Instead, we labored and toiled, working night and day, so that we would not be a burden to, you, to any of you. It is... It is not that we don't have the right to support, but we did it to make ourselves an example to you so that you would imitate us. In fact, when we were with you, that is what we commanded you. If anyone isn't willing to work, he should not eat. Let me repeat that statement. If anyone isn't willing to work, he should not eat. For if we hear that there are for we hear that there are some among you who are idle. They are not busy, but busy bodies. 
Now we command and exhort such people by the Lord Jesus Christ to work quietly and provide for themselves. But as for you, brothers and sisters, don't grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take note of that person. Don't associate with him so that he may be ashamed. Yet don't consider him as an enemy, but warm him as a brother. In our culture today, there are people who are showing up at our door all the time with their hand out. What do you do with that? We are encouraging a handout culture today. You have something, I have nothing. Share. We need to ask this question. Connor and I had this conversation. We were, we were talking about someone who is knocking on our door. So how do you do this? Am I helping? Am I hurting or am I being taken advantage of? You need to wrestle through those issues. For me, as I talked with Connor, I said, Connor, if we are enabling someone to live in an unhealthy manner or to maintain an unhealthy pattern of life, then I'm not ready to start giving money away and I'm not ready to start giving resources away. If we are helping someone to move forward, if we're helping someone to accomplish a transformation in their life, that's something we want to be a part of. But if we're just helping someone to maintain a pattern of life that is destructive, self-indulgent, selfish, and irresponsible, then we're not ready to start making contributions. And we have to wrestle through those issues on ourselves. And again, this is an issue of stewardship. Because when someone does this, whose resources would we be putting in their hand? Say that again. Say it loud. God's. Not ours. It's ultimately God's resources we're putting in their hands. So it's an issue of stewardship. Am I helping? Am I hurting? Or am I being taken advantage of? These are all things that we should be wrestling through and thinking through as we process issues of stewardship. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you again for the time you've given us, and I thank you for your provision, for your generosity, just for watching over us. Father, you have been so faithfully faithful consistently over time, and I say thank you for that. Father, just continue to build into us the character and the substance of Jesus. Lord, I ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Listen to this one verse that we read from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. This is... Jesus Christ, who came here, fully God, fully man, one of us, bled, died, sacrificed everything so that we might know him and be rich eternally with him forever. This is what it's all about. God who came here to save us. If you have believed in Jesus, Do you live sacrificially 
and selflessly, like God himself who came here and died to save sinners like you and me. And if you are here and you have not put your trust in Jesus, or if you're watching us online and you've never done that, God came here to save you. There is no better news. And I would encourage you, if you've never done that, you have questions about that, come see myself or Andrew. It is the best news. And what we're going to do now is we're going to pray and we're going to give. And if you are new here, please feel free for the plate to, to pass you. And we give so that we can continue proclaiming the good news that Jesus became poor so that we might become rich eternally. Here, proclaimed, and then as our missionaries proclaim this around the world. What we're going to do is we're going to pray and thank the one true great God. And what's going to happen is the offering plate will pass you, and as it passes you, let's stand and sing to Jesus. Let's, Let's pray. God, I... I can't believe what you did for a sinner like me. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for going on the cross, dying, taking the punishment of sin, rising again. pray for those here that do know you. I pray that our hearts will delight in the truth of what you did for us on the cross. Make us a church and a people that are selfless. Give us hearts that get excited about being selfless. God, I pray that This week, maybe even today, you'll give us opportunities to start using our resources and our time selflessly. Jesus, I pray if there's anyone here that does not know you, even if they think they know you, but they don't actually, convict them of their sin. Show them that there is only one who could save them, and it is you who became poor so that we might become rich eternally. Jesus, thank you. And I pray now as we give, that we will give with hearts overflowing with joy because of who you are and what you have done. And I pray that you will use what is given so that many more can hear the good news of what you did for us on the cross. And Lord, I pray as we sing, We will sing with our hearts overflowing with joy because of who you are and what you have done for us. You are so good. Jesus, I I pray these things in your name. Amen.